0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. I'm Patricia Miller, Managing Editor of Cannabis and Tech Today. With me is Roy Ettery, founder and CEO of Ginger Commerce. Thanks for joining us, Roy.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Today we'll be talking about Direct Consumer Technology or DTC. Um, and DTC sort of bypasses the retailer. It allows customers to receive the products they love, sometimes at a slightly lower price, directly from the manufacturer brand. Um, And that's sort of where Ginger Commerce comes in, right? So it's an e-commerce platform. And um, maybe before we dive into all of its functionality, you can tell us a little bit about how you found your way into the cannabis technology space.
1: Great. Well, again, thanks for thanks for having me. Um, my personal background is actually in technology. I was an IT exec for many years, uh, predominantly in the healthcare space. Uh, in 2013, with a couple of friends of mine, I decided I wanted to kind of quit corporate America and become an entrepreneur. Uh, the cannabis space was sort of red hot at the time. California had not gone recreational, but everyone knew that it was going that direction. Um, and we just decided, Hey, let's bring our, our sort of technology background into what is uh, guaranteed to be an exciting industry. And, um, uh, we started on a journey of building, uh, one of the largest, uh, on-demand uh, delivery services, a company called ease, which was launched in the summer of 2014. And I spelt the f- spent the first couple of years running product and operation there really learned a lot about cannabis and a lot about, uh, B2C consumer behavior in general. I'd sort of been mm-hmm. um, in, in the IT management space before and just fell in love with both cannabis and how disruptive technology can be for the cannabis space. So after I would left Ease, uh, spent a couple of years uh, in manufacturing, sort of learning every part of the supply chain business. So um, uh, cannabis manufacturing, um, I had a, a short stint at a, at a B2B software company as well. And then um, most recently, prior to Ginger, I founded a a sublingual oral spray brand, a a product called Click Spray, which um, is pretty revolutionary and and try to fix some of the issues that uh, surround the form factors, such as uh, smoking and um, uh, other types of products that may not be the healthiest choice for some folks. And through just going through that experience of launching my own brand in California, I felt on my own skin the pain which is trying to penetrate and maintain a retail presence or deal with the big delivery services. And, you know, as they say, necessity is the mother of all inventions. And, uh, and we said, you know what, there's got to be a better way to get really great cannabis products in the hands of consumers. And we started working on the Ginger platform.
0: Wow. So you're applying a ton of background knowledge from all of these different companies. What would you say are the, the biggest takeaways from those companies that you're kind of applying to Ginger?
1: Well, look, I think that um, the, the power of, of sort of the power dynamic of this industry is heavily skewed towards the retailer and towards the distributor and delivery service. And unfortunately, the brands are sort of in the back seat there, even though they put in a ton of the risk capital, a lot of the uh, sort of elbow grease in terms of creating something of high quality. Um, they're g- giving up lots of control and lots of margin. And because of the regulatory framework in California, where there essentially is not enough retail shelf space, you have a very competitive, heavily skewed market where you have more brands than there is shelf space, giving an artificial power to uh, sort of the retail and the supply chain side of the business. And um, we just said, you know what, let's try to, uh, try to even things out a little bit and and um, build a company that's really there for the brand and really is aligned truly with the brand, not just lip service, not just saying hey we help you because we put you on a store shelf, but tomorrow we could also replace you by someone else, but really be there sort of as a long term partner alongside the brands and and that was that's kind of the ethos of of Ginger from from the outset.
0: So, what are the advantages to a brand for working, um, offering
1: DTC products? They're numerous. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot to unpack in that, but I'd say just for the highlights, um, the advantages of DTC is so the, uh, some of it is um, even the absence of the disadvantages that exist in, in retail. So in the retail space, the brands are often asked to Um, Pay distribution fees, give up a big margin spread between wholesale and retail, and then invest in education for the bud tenders and promotions and discounts. So you have to put all of that effort and capital in. And in the end, you don't get to own the consumer data. The retailer Mm -hmm. views the customers belonging to them. They do the marketing, they do the sales. You don't get any access to the consumer data. Same goes with the big delivery services and sort of the online platforms. They go and acquire the customer, but then they own that customer and you as a brand is just sort of a uh, participant in their ecosystem versus the DTC world where absolutely the brand owns the direct customer relationship. So that's something that over time allows you to build a channel that hopefully is profitable, but at the very least, it's one that you control. You own the data, you can uh, control the retail pricing, the behavior, the cadence by which you're marketing to the consumer, and you're not at risk of being deplatformed or kicked out of the store Sometimes through no fault of your own, which is something that often happens in sort of the other two channels that exist in this space.
0: Yeah, I think that's a super valuable point is um, the importance of data. There's so much value in understanding your customer and what they want. What are they buying most often? Um, and What are they looking for? Correct. What would you say the benefits are for customers who are using this uh, platform?
1: So the benefits are, um, I, I would say, they're up to the brand themselves. And and that's just something that I, I also want to make clear. Um, Ginger or DTC as a whole is a platform. So it enables e-commerce, but it isn't e-commerce on its own. There still has to be sort of a marketing effort, a marketing strategy on the brands' behalf to say, okay, Now that we're committed to putting a buy now button on our website and um, basically delivering directly to the consumer, what does that mean for our business, for our brand? How are we growing that and how are we getting that brand loyalty? Do we want to put in a uh, membership rewards program or um, uh, a buyer's club with, you know, deep discounts? The more you buy, the more discounts you get or unique SKUs that are only available online, which some brands are doing. So DTC on its own, um, you know, is is just a platform that enables marketers and brands to come together and really put together the value for the consumer. And those brands that do it right, DTC is a home run.
0: Okay. And how are retailers responding to this? Because it sounds like it might be a little threatening.
1: I think right now, um, it's still in the early stages. Um, it may be on some retailers' radars. Uh, but in the end, I think that they are so um, inundated with with what they're doing and what is going on in their sphere. Again, it's, it's as bad. It's, it's a power dynamic. It's a supply. um, It's sort of like a supply demand marketplace where on one hand you have the retailers and on the other hand, you have the brands. So long as there's more brands than there are retailers or retail space, then by definition, the retailers have the power. So if there's a few brands out there trying to experiment with some other channel, it's not on the radar yet because they're not seeing revenues drop or their power shift. But that day is coming. And, and I believe that that day will be here when a big portion of brands have about a 5 to 10% revenue mix coming from DTC. When that day comes, that's the day when the sales rep of a brand interfacing with the buyer of a dispensary may not be as flexible as that buyer um, uh, is used to, right? When they, if that buyer says, hey, I need this discount, and you're going to give it to me or I kick you out. And if that sales are like, hey, buddy, sorry, take it or leave it. I'm no longer discounting my product. And in fact, I'm not that scared if you kick me out anymore. I think that that's when retailers would really take notice. But maybe when that day comes, it, it will sort of be um, a little too late, I would say. Um, certainly, the, the cat would be out of the bag. Um, so are they? Uh, I would say they're right now sort of a mixture of just ignoring this and maybe slightly unhappy. Um, but you know, that that's obviously what we're trying to change here with Ginger.
0: Yeah. Isn't that the way with disruptive tech, right?
1: Yeah, Um, absolutely.
0: So there are some other entities kind of doing DTC. What would you say is unique about the way Ginger Commerce is approaching this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think that the, the most unique thing about Ginger is that we are built from the ground up to be a DTC company. Um, so uh, there's several other players in the market in California. They all uh, got started as a on-demand platform. So just a typical delivery service that has a website with a marketplace with many brands sort of being, being sold on that platform. And um, then just sort of saw this trend and this opportunity in DTC and said hey I'm already sitting on your inventory I'm already selling you on my marketplace website let me kind of give you a white labeled version of my website and if you can generate additional demand I will service that demand and with maybe slightly better unit economics Um, where we are different is we are ignoring that side of the business we are not an on-demand delivery service and we do not have our own marketplace And the reason why um, I point that out and why we think it's critical is as a brand, if you are working, if your DTC is with a company that also operates a marketplace website, you're essentially working with your partner is also your competitor. They're your Mm. competitor in the digital realm because you're both competing and spending ad dollars to try to capture a customer. And and keep that customer and service that customer. If you are if your DTC provider also operates that marketplace, they have an unfair advantage because they see your data. They see where you're advertising, they see where your data sources are coming from, where your pockets of users are coming from, and where you're putting your ad dollars. And typically the, the big the big platform players would have a larger. Um, ad budget than any individual brand. Maybe on aggregate, that's not true, but individually, yes. So they can outspend you. They can see what you're doing, outspend you, and grab those customers, either the the actual customers away from you, or at the very least, go and sort of saturate the pool of um, uh, customers that you're trying to advertise to and bring them to the marketplace. So we saw that as a huge red flag, a huge uh, conflict of interest,
0: and decided
1: Mm -hmm. at Ginger to Never, um, never operate a, um, a a sort of marketplace website. Um, if folks want to operate them, that's on them. But my humble advice to certainly the brands that I, I work with and our customers is um, let you know sell your product to those businesses, but not in a DTC fashion, because that's kind of the point. You're essentially hiring them. You're you're giving them your product in wholesale. So they're keeping the margin spread between wholesale and retail, but that's legitimately theirs because they're advertising and they're capturing that customer and retaining that customer. So I say to brands, have your product in every store you can work with any delivery service you can and just collect your wholesale fee. But when it comes to your DTC, that's your customer. And the last thing you want is the marketplace guys or the retailers to see that customer. You want to keep that customer you know secretly tucked away in your CRM database and, and not let anyone have any access to that data.
0: That's your lead. Yeah, it's the most valuable thing you've got, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're you're paying for that too, right? Cuz traffic doesn't come for free. I mean, some mm-hmm. of it maybe, you know, someone could have bought the product in a store, read your website on, on the packaging and kind of organically visited, but that's probably not the lion's share of visits. It's mm-hmm. primarily what you're doing on ad spend, whether it's programmatic, out of home, billboards, you name it, right? Sponsored content, podcasts, et cetera. But you're, you're, that all translates to dollars. So you've essentially paid for these customers to come to your website And so they're your property, legitimately owning that data is your property. And like I said, last thing you want is a third party to sort of see that data and have access to them. whether they market to them directly or even if they don't. You know, there's a lot of um, marketing tactics today that are being deployed where even if you have access to a group of users, if you're not marketing to them directly, you can run them through these scrubbers that create lookalikes where you can see the friends of friends and and hyper-target, that group of people as an aggregate. So just even being able to get access to that data on aggregate gives whoever has access to that data um, a very big advantage. And ultimately that could translate into um, a a less performing cohort than you you would otherwise hope if they didn't have that data.
0: let's talk about the data that uh, brands are able to collect through Ginger. So I guess, what kind of data are they getting and how are they able to, to view it?
1: Yeah, so with, with Ginger, we have a client dashboard. So when, when brands sign up with us, uh, we built a lot of, uh, a lot of tools um, on, into our platform that will give them visibility around transactional data. They get to see a real-time um, report of all the customer data. Um, we use a, we use a, a BI tool that has some plugins with some canned reports, but um, I think one of the things that again, we, we pride ourselves to sort of put our money where our mouth is. We've created uh, an integrations marketplace where we support, I would say probably hundreds of the most popular, Uh, tools that are commonly being used in sort of the e-commerce world. So that's all the popular CRMs, the popular survey and email uh, marketing platforms, and even the business intelligence and um, uh, other sort of uh, communication tools out there. So when a brand comes to us and says we use Slack uh, for communications and, you know, ClaviO for email marketing, you name it, QuickBooks for our accounting, We do uh, very seamless integration and ship them the raw data, including the contact info into their CRM. So, you know, it's not just, okay, uh, you tell me that contractually I have access to the data, but what if one day you turn off my access and then I've lost my customer database? We make it very easy for them to get a real-time copy of the data into a CRM that they control. So when you sign up with Ginger, you get all of that, a lot of very simple tools that are sort of built in, but we've democratized the brands as data and we'll navigate it to whatever sort of popular tools they ask us to navigate it into. Wow,
0: that's versatile. Um, how, How are customers protected in this instance? Like how is their data secured?
1: So I mean, obviously, from a, a data integrity and security perspective, we use our best practices that are commonly used in terms of encryption and those kinds of things. Um, uh, so that's sort of on that level. And then in terms of just integrity of the data and making sure that it doesn't fall into the hands that it shouldn't, then essentially when the customer signs up and, and makes a purchase, they're agreeing to the terms of service of the Uh, website. So that would be of the brand. And in there is some language around our platform, but they're agreeing to the fact that um, their data belongs to the brand because they've transacted with the brand. Ginger is just a white label kind of enabler behind the scenes and and nothing more. So they already know, uh, they're being made aware that their data belongs to the brand, that they're transacting with the brand. And uh, we contractually are prohibited from doing anything with that data unless we do it on behalf of the brand and at the request of the brand.
0: Ah, okay. That's interesting. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, that now that you've got it going and you're, you're learning about your customers and clients. What have you got on the horizon? Are you hoping to expand its functionality, any new services, capabilities coming up?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's ever-changing, right? Technology never stands still and you're always improving and adding uh, features. Um, one area that we know our, our customers need a lot of help in is basically demand, right? So it's one thing when there's uh, really great technology on your website to make it seamless to make a purchase. And that the fact that we can do the white labeled uh, delivery for them, that's great. The logistics and the tech is great, but that again, doesn't generate a sale. You need to drive traffic to the website. So today we're relying on partners uh, to do that, where if, if brands come to us and say they need help in that area, we refer them to uh, a few trusted sources but we are working behind the scenes feverishly with those sources to create a much more integrated package of services for Ginger. So one day, uh, one day soon, uh, a Ginger client um, can basically sort of have a call it business in a box, right? You join Ginger, you can get demand, you can get technology and you can get logistics all kind of under under one umbrella and then it's just kind of a, a budget game and um, you know that's the most you can hope for and at, at the end after that it's just you got to have a good product at a good price and if you do there's no reason why you shouldn't succeed.
0: And are you hoping to because right now are you localized to California or are you nationwide?
1: No right now we're um, we're only in California but we, we're certainly looking to expand beyond um we we basically are primarily a technology play in California, we have our own logistics, but in other markets, uh, it's not to say that we would have to and, and we would be um, open to partnering with others and those are kind of the conversations we're having with folks that have uh, like the large MSOs, et cetera that have the licensing, they have the infrastructure. They don't have the technology or, or even the, the the team that is really dedicated to something like this, and we can kind of partner with them. Um, we do know from speaking to a lot of our brand customers is that they would absolutely love to have as much of a consolidated database and shopping experience throughout all the states that they're in. I, I mean, as, as you as you know, as the listeners know, um, every brand worth their salt is looking to expand beyond whatever state or states they're currently in. It's just you know, just a natural way of of doing things and um, setting up retail relationships and distribution relationships uh, in every new market is challenging. And it also takes time versus digital. If you've already cracked the code on, here's how I'm acquiring a digital customer. Here's where I'm doing my ads. Here's how my marketing team uh, sends the emails and gets them to like a second, third and fourth order. If you've got all of that figured out, that is universal. It's countrywide. So now all you have to do is have the product in that state and, and have the ability to deliver it. But you don't, say so if you're in California and then you go into Illinois, you don't sort of hit the reset button. I'm now trying to get into 200 shops. You're already there. Just deploy your marketing strategy. Just sort of increase your ad budget and increase the territory where you're serving ads. And you should see uh, somewhat similar results. And I think that that's sort of the most exciting thing about e-commerce is is that it's an untapped um, bucket of users and it is a much faster way to proliferate and be able to cover um, a large territory without the time and effort that it takes to get into retail. Not to say that's the only thing that they would do, but if you started, imagine a brand that's in 400 stores in California and simultaneously is also crushing it on DTC. And then they went into Illinois, whatever state, and then they went in head to head. Day one, they're deploying their digital marketing strategy and they're deploying an army of sales reps to get them into shops. You know, like which one is going to succeed faster? I would imagine that technology is, is much more scalable and, and, and you can do it for less money and less time.
0: That's a killer point and super exciting. I'll be, I'll be interested to see how, how you're able to roll that out on a larger scale uh, for, for people like myself who are interested to kind of see that rollout, where can we follow what Ginger's doing and and keep up with the story? Uh,
1: we're, we're very active on LinkedIn. Um, obviously our website will get updated as there's more, uh, as there's more to share and there'll be some press releases coming in the next couple of months as well. So yeah, we, we are, though we are a B2B brand, you know, we're sort of an industry kind of internal brand consumers don't know or hear of us, we completely white label the solution. So our brand is not a consumer brand. Um, But if you're in the industry, we're very active and and visible um, and we want to sort of get the word out. And quite frankly, not just about ginger, but as, as for the category as well, it's very healthy for us that DTC uh, grows because it means that brands are um, going to um, sort of upgrade their, their, their internal talent as it relates to digital marketing, more dollars will go into the uh, advertising universe, which will sort of benefit everyone. So we're here not only to grow our own brand portfolio, but just help sort of shepherd this new channel that truly we believe is, is the one channel that puts the power back into the hands of the brand, which is where it belongs anyways.
0: I love it. Super cool insights, Roy. I really appreciate you uh, sharing that with us and kind of diving into the world of DTC, because I think we're going to see more of that as the the cannabis industry kind of expands. For our listeners out there, definitely check us out um, on Cannabis Tech Talks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, And also the fall issue of Cannabis and Tech Today is out now. So find your local Barnes & Noble and go pick up a copy if you can. Uh, Until next time, I think we've got some killer insights today. So this is Patricia Miller and Roy Ettery signing off.
1: Today's episode of Cannabis Tech Talks is brought to you by Hardy Diagnostics. Hardy Diagnostics is an American company that manufactures and sells bacteriological culture media, reagents, automated microscope slide staining machines, and rapid identification kits for microbiological testing in clinical, research, and industrial laboratories. Hardy Diagnostics is proud to be partnering with Cannabis Testing and Cannabis Science Laboratories to ensure that cannabis products are safe for consumers. Hardy offers a wide range of pathogen detection and environmental monitoring products. At Hardy Diagnostics you will find a complete selection of laboratory and microbiology supplies for the clinical, industrial, and molecular biology labs. See their amazing line of products. Go to HardyDiagnostics.com